0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week, we'll hear a message about how the church should be on the front lines of shaping culture. And let me tell you something. Kanye West is some. whatever you think about him, he is not content. He is constantly driving. He's constantly extending his abilities. He wants to move into new territories. He wants to take over more territory. And I am concerned that the slacker generation of young coming Christians may not be up to the job that we need in order to be shining lights in the firmament as we hold forth the word of life. In a competition-driven culture, Christians can be confused about how to take part and still honor Christ. At the ERLC National Conference, Greg Thornberry... The president of King's College challenged the church to be innovative like Abel, rather than stagnant like Cain. We hope that you find this message helpful. What are you doing? Says Greg Thornbury, president of the King's College in New York City, and so I have to give a New York greeting. And of course, your appropriate response is, no, while you doing? And we go back and forth like that for a little while. Greetings from the belly of the beast. New York City, and from the King's College, right there on Wall Street. I was interviewed uh, a couple of months ago by Timothy George, and he said, the King's College, you're on Wall Street. And I said, that's right. He said, that's different than most Christian colleges, most of which are located about 75 miles from any known sin. And I said, you know, come to think of it, when you put it that way, that is true. And we're there on Wall Street to send students into wall street into finance into the media capitals into technology you know bernie sanders complains about wall street where is wall street uh we complain about the media where is the media it's in new york city and i have been bolstered in this sort of mission to send christ followers into the public square in what i guess now Uh, We call him St. Pope John Paul II. Well, we Baptists don't, but that's a mouthful. I just call him J2P2 for short. (laughs) Called New York City the capital of planet Earth. And I think that it is time for believers to stop talking about culture and talking about engaging culture because guess what? If you think that culture is out there and you are somehow separated from it, too late. You are already swimming in culture. Our kids are swimming in culture. So the only way that we are going to be able to stand the tides of this age is to send competitors into the heart of the arena, and for me, that is New York City. And I've been emboldened in that mission by finally for me figuring out a problematic text in the Bible that bothered me ever since I was a little kid growing up listening to my godly father preach in church. There were a number of texts that bothered me as a little kid. I was uh, the son of a Baptist preacher, so we were a teetotaling family, so the wedding at Cana did not quite make sense to me. So I would try to work it out in my own mind, and I figured that there must be actually two miracles that happened at Cana. Jesus turned the water into wine, but then he must have turned it back into water before it hit their stomach. So I was trying to work it all out, but there was no text of the Bible that was more problematic for me to figure out than the story of Cain and Abel because it just didn't seem like there was enough information about why Abel's offering was so clearly better than Cain's. There's a lot of interpretation about it. There's a lot of guesswork about it, but it just seemed to me as a kid growing up, this is not fair. I mean, it can't simply be that the difference between Abel's offering and Cain's offering is that God likes lamb chops better than vegetables. That did not seem plausible to me. And anytime that happens and I sort of run aground with traditional evangelical Christian commentary, if it's dealing with the Old Testament, I will go back to scholars of the Hebrew tradition, to the Jewish commentators and interpreters. And guess what? They look at the Cain and Abel story and they have a decidedly different spin on it that I think is crucial to helping us figure out how to be witnesses and builders as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in this generation, in the public square, and in leading cities like New York. And here's the interpretation. Jewish interpreters say that What's different between Cain's offering and Abel's offering is that Cain is something like the unprofitable servant. He's there just accepting the curse on the ground that came as a result of the fall. So he's out there by himself in the noonday sun with his hoe or his rake as a farmer saying, thorns and thistles, grr, and he's planting it, and he plants, and he brings the fruit up, and he's done it by the sweat of its brow, and he gives it back to God. Abel, on the other hand, according to Jewish tradition, does something very innovative. He discovers sheep technology. He understands that the human being is created in the image of God, And that part of the cultural mandate is to subdue the earth. And so Abel understands that if he wants to fertilize and till a piece of ground, he doesn't have to do it himself. He can send sheep to go out and do it. And sheep are very good for that. They fertilize, they eat weeds, they'll even eat trash. And guess what? Abel is sitting back and watching them do it. He deploys them, and sheep have multiple things that they provide to the shepherd. They provide clothing, and they're also delicious. In addition to helping do the farm work for you. And it is not by any mistake that for the rest of the Bible, the shepherd motif Becomes the key understanding for what it means to truly be a leader amongst the people of God. Beginning with Abel. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. All of the patriarchs. King David understands what it means to be a shepherd. He sends the sheep out, he deploys them, and it gives him time to do other more creative things like write poetry and write music, sheep technology. And it's all surrounded this by this concept that we are kings. We are lords of the world. And this is what sets the Jewish people apart amongst all of the people and other nations of the world. The other pagan ancient Canaanite cultures all had a servile attitude, a Cain-like attitude. They were just accepting their fate. We're slaves. We bow down and listen to what some chieftain or suzerain or potentate or king tells us to do. Not so with the Jewish people. You are to be shepherds. You are to control your environment. And so it is by no mistake that we call the Lord Jesus Christ our great shepherd. And why is he the great shepherd? Because we are his sheep, the people of his pasture, and we are doing the job for him. He deploys us, and so he is the greatest shepherd of all time. Now, what is the interpretation and take home from that text for this generation of people. Well, I'll tell you someone who gets it right, the current state of Israel. It is not by mistake that if you go to modern day Israel, they still understand this notion that we are created in the image of God and that we are kings of our environment, and you can read a book like Dan Senior and Paul Singer's book, Startup Nation, and you can see the intense drive and innovation and development economically, technologically, and culturally that is the modern state of Israel. And it is not by accident that you can see where the green grass ends and Syria begins. That's not by mistake. It comes from the shepherd motif. And I'm going to say something a little controversial here. I worry, as the president of a college who's trying to prepare competitors in the marketplace of New York City, a competitive environment where they're up against Ivy League students, I am concerned that the rightful teaching of grace in our churches may be producing a slacker generation that will damage our witness and culture for coming generations. We need to recover the work ethic that made the people of God who they were in every cultural situation. This past Tuesday, I spoke to our incoming student class at Trinity Church Wall Street... Right there, that historic building where six signers of the Declaration of Independence are buried. The Church of the Patriots, also buried there, is Alexander Hamilton. His name is Alexander Hamilton. And we need to recover that sense of Hamilton who understood in the musical, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. You know, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. That needs to be Team Jesus. And I am worried that we look at people, and I I know the way I kind of tricked you into coming tonight is like, he's going to talk about Kanye? Yeah, let me talk about Kanye for a second. (laughs) When you mention the name Kanye, it provokes all these kinds of reactions. And I don't need to go into it, but I will tell you one thing. I said this provocatively at a conference I was recently at, just as sort of a Rorschach test. And I said, "Is it? could it be possible that Kanye West is the most relentlessly hardworking family man in America? And let me tell you something. Kanye West is someone, whatever you think about him, he is not content. He is constantly driving. He's constantly extending his abilities. He wants to move into new territories. He wants to take over more territory. And I am concerned that the slacker generation of young coming Christians may not be up to the job that we need in order to be shining lights in the firmament. As we hold forth the word of life. What we need to go back to. Are people like. A young boy. Named Bill Lear. Who grew up. In the Moody Church. In Chicago. His mom walked out on him. When he was a little boy. Leaving him and his father all alone. And Bill Lear's father told him. Look at how Moody Church operates. They teach people real skills. Do you know what Sunday school was originally for at the Moody Church? It was to teach literacy. They actually gave people concrete skills in church that they could develop in the marketplace. And when Bill Lear grew up, he knew that if he wanted something, he should do it himself. As I told that stu- those students at Convocation in Trinity Church, Wall Street, in Genesis 39, it says of Joseph, while he was in that jail... If something got done in that place, it was Joseph who got it done. That's the message we need to give to this generation. And Bill Lear understood that. And so when he grew up, he wanted to listen to music in big public spaces. So he innovated miniaturization and amplification technology. And then, as he got older, he developed self-guided actuators in planes that are now incorporated into our autopilot systems for planes. He wanted to travel better as a businessman, and so he developed the Learjet. He wanted to listen to music on his Learjet because LPs tend to scratch and bump on takeoff and landing, and so he developed the infinite tape loop system that eventually became the eight-track cassette tape system. One guy, Bill Lear, grew up in Moody Church, saw a model for the shepherd motif, and it changed his life and thousands of employees, and we need to lean into that. As the church, it needs to be our job To envision a different future for the church in which we teach our young people to compete in the arena and be so excellent that they cannot be denied. To be shepherds. And if I were going to start or plant a church today, I am pretty sure that I would install desks instead of pews. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the ERLC podcast. To subscribe to the podcast and find more information about cultural engagement, visit ERLC.com.